All right, everyone. It's uh, episode 77, Festivus, the hearing of the grievances. Pretty cut and dry. I don't need to uh, set any of this up. Uh, we're all like getting ready for holidays, whatever your holiday is, if it's Christmas or Schwanza or whatever. Uh, so you're, you should all be pretty uh, familiar with this. Uh, anybody who wants to jump up in the queue, feel free. We're going to air some grievances. You can be about anything you want. It can be media, politics, culture. It can be the libs. It can be your family. Uh, air your grievances, get them out, and then go off and enjoy your holiday and your Christmas uh, with a free, clear mind starting tomorrow. Uh, it is episode 77. I'm Stephen O. Miller. It's Versus Media Live on Colin. Uh, we already got a few up. Uh, I got Sheila, who I know is going to have grievances. Uh, Tom Warren's back there. Josh is back there. So uh, if you haven't done Colin before, this is a good one to just jump up and uh, get get whatever you want off your holiday chest. Uh, just the, the ground rules, as I usually do, just make sure you please mute your microphone if you're not speaking. And then just also be aware you might have people behind you and we want to get as many in as possible. So right now we only have three. So this could be very short. Um, think of me as uh, your Santa closet. You can kind of just sit on my lap and yell at. So that's what we'll do. Uh, gonna just jump right in. I'm gonna get Town Moron up, who we haven't seen in a while. Hi, Stephen. How's it going? I uh, I will just okay. Since I'm leading off, I will start with one that's maybe slightly. Uh, more esoteric and about culture, but uh, my grievance is the First Amendment. And specifically, my grievance is the fact that all of these various battles we've been having in public, you know, everyone keeps framing it in the uh, guise of the First Amendment. You know, is Twitter a private company and so they can do what they want? Or is the government uh, pressuring Twitter? So now it's, you know, state action and suddenly we might have a First Amendment violation. And I feel like all of our debates around, uh, you know, public forums, censorship, what can be talked about, what can't be talked about, how much should be talked about, where do we start and stop, has focused down on the constitutional question of at what point is it truly a violation that we have to go to court and battle over instead of just everybody stepping back and saying we used to have the freaking understanding that free speech as a concept was valuable and worth protecting whether or not it was specifically something that had to be protected within the constitution and virtually nobody just spends the time to walk out and and defend the idea that maybe just maybe the people who want to censor are always the bad guys and just allowing things to be discussed, even when they're uncomfortable, even when they're shitty, even when they're mean, even when they're hurtful, even when they're freaking disgusting, uh, even when they're dirty words that you shouldn't be saying on the radio, that all those things are just valuable to be saying uh, and can be countered with better, more accurate speech. And instead, we've got endless debates about what information is misinformation or malinformation or proper or improper. And uh, my grievance is that that's the nature of the debate. Instead of everybody taking a big step back and saying, we had a value of free speech. It was a wonderful thing. It has led to great debate and advancement throughout the West, and it is worth preserving. 
Uh, I like this one. I like uh, this. This touches on a lot of things that um, currently is, is as it relates to online speech in particular. And uh, we kind of get the, the counter narrative, especially what we saw with the Twitter files that say, you know, well, you know, the FBI wasn't officially censoring people or anything like that. And it's and there it's a private. So it's not a uh, First Amendment issue. And, and I think you're right, because we've talked about this in the sense of you can separate your right to free speech away from, an, you know, a constitutional amendment that just simply affirms it. It's the First Amendment doesn't give you free speech. It just affirms that you have the right to it. And it's kind of like saying, yes, you do. There you go. And too many people who, for one reason or another, are kind of stuck defending old Twitter and FBI's behavior with, you know, getting accounts banned off Twitter. Um, you you kind of hit this one right on the head. It's it's something that uh, I'm, I, I don't tolerate. I'm not a fan of and those are the people where I kind of learned to just distance from. And a lot of those are kind of, you know, older pundits and older commentariats and things like that nature. And I just think that the, the fight has changed. Um, we saw this, you know, the uh, funny thing is, is that Chris Sununu is now exploring running for president. He sounds like a Republican from the year 2008, you know, and it's like, this isn't going to work. And I've touched on that on the podcast, but um, I like the way you frame this is it's not, it doesn't have to be a First Amendment free speech issue for it to be morally wrong and policy wrong and to realize how dangerous it is to actually have, you know, federal investigative agencies deciding who can and who cannot speak on social media platforms. And so uh, I, do, I like your point. I like that you started off with this one um, because there is there's you know, we saw some of these guys, Chris Krebs was one who's an Aspen Policy Institute guy who basically said, well, the FBI knew about the guardrails. No, that doesn't make it right. And it doesn't matter if it's a First Amendment issue or not. When you're censoring people for their opinions uh, simply because you don't like them or you think they're dangerous online, uh, it doesn't have to be a constitutional issue. Um, it's an issue that should still be discussed, talked about, investigated, and we should be holding congressional hearings. Yep. You know, I, uh, I mean, I think that's, re that's really the crux of it. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, it, yeah, the, the first amendment super valuable. It's important, but I, I think the point is it was, uh, something that was crafted to protect an ideal. And, uh, I think at that time the idea was, you know, everyone, if we all kind of understand that free speech is, is the current value and let's just make sure we have something put in place so that government uh, who would have an interest to get get away from that doesn't. And it's still valuable to keep those limits on government. But, um, you know, more and more the 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 idea that there are any limits beyond that, I, I, I tend to hear the discussion of the First Amendment, not about what it does protect anymore but more about why some sort of censorship is not protected. So uh, I, I guess the other, uh, the other point to me is that from being a shield against government, um, you know, misaction uh, against free speech. Now uh, you, you, so much of the time you hear commentary describing, you know, using the first amendment as a sword, you know, or, or maybe, maybe also to say a shield, <laughs> a shield in the opposite direction to protect people who are um, censoring speech by saying, well, this is perfectly fine because it's not protected by the First Amendment. So I think just the fact that that's the, the, the 
the discussion that we're having, the the grounds upon which the battle is taking place shows just how far away from the ideal itself we've gotten. And uh, that, yep, that's all for me. That's my grievance. <laughs> Holland might be having uh, a couple of glitchy issues. I mean, this latest update's a little glitchy. I have told him about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- this this is important, especially as, again, as the debate revolves around Twitter on, you know, people getting banned or accounts getting banned for misinformation and disinformation. And it's a good point to suggest that, you know, to, for Twitter's uh, platform, they can ban whomever they want and whatever. Well, of course they can do that, but that doesn't mean that because it's not a First Amendment issue that it's this is a very serious issue about uh, the limits of tech and uh, who's kind of grappling over, you know, how to control that because that's what it is. It's a control over uh, tech online and who can say what online, and it's something that is – um ramped up shall we say uh, a lot more pertains to covid and such so uh that was a good one good good one to start off on Tamora. sheila air your grievances oh hey hey good to good to speak with you and uh good to finally reconnect after a couple of weeks so i just am, am happy to be here be alive with you in in the world uh feel like it's a really challenging time for so many people um you know there's a lot of grandmas and vulnerable people who are not gonna have heat here in america but we've got a lot of money going to uh going to ukraine so i I think i can be aggrieved about that and i can be aggrieved about the fact that dhs has a whole of society approach um, and so the whole of society approach is meaning they they don't they're they're being kind of shameless about the fact that they're they're taking a multi tentacled approach to reach for any other agency that will aid and abet their uh, their venture into conducting Stasi police work, you know, getting you to rat on somebody else, and you know, getting getting the FBI to do it for them, and you know, just kind of having a nice little mulch of, of data surveillance on, on all of the people. None of this is legal, by the way. None, none of this is good or legal, but I, I think it's really funny. I was watching Glenn Greenwald's um, uh, Rumblecast today, and he mentioned that the journalists that have been suspended for a couple of days uh, and then they're just screaming to high hilt heaven that they they their rights have been marginalized. They they have been they have been executed in the street at point blank range, and you know they have no voice anymore. Even though they're on the New York Times and they get paid a lot of money to live in a, a little shoebox apartment, uh, but all the same, they are are crying to the uppers that that this is this is a a travesty. And that they, their their accounts must be restored immediately, uh, while people who they have been hell banned are still trying to get their accounts back online. And uh, I guess the funny part, if there there was one, was that he indicated that they were, you know, just very very overly emotional about the fact that they couldn't get back on over two days 
It's like a spanking yeah. compared to being completely thrown in the garbage. Yeah, they were acting like political prisoners. Um, which, I mean, it's funny because how they all kind of tried to get off of the site anyway. They were like, hey, find us at Mastodon. Hey, find right. us at Post. And what you learn is, I mean, journalists are disinterested in a place like Post or Mastodon as much as the as a regular person because uh, it's not it's not Twitter. Post is not a live update news feed, and neither is Mastodon. They learn that very quickly. Is if you just venture over to Journal Host on Mastodon, a lot of these people who you know said their goodbyes and you know lit the flame and went out the door haven't posted at all on Journal Host for a week or two weeks or whatever. And so, as I noted today, one of the funniest things was Paul Fari, the Washington Post, made it sound like Musk was being deceptive uh, when he when he unbanned journalists. But he said, oh, there's a catch. They have to delete their tweet. And that's something where it's like us pleads have known Twitter policy ever since the New York Post. And the fact that these guys are like, I have to delete the tweet. I'm never going to delete the tweet. I even think Jim Acosta is locked out of his account. I think I saw that, which is great. Um, there's a there's a guy who's gonna act like he's a brave freedom fighter, but um, yeah, I mean this is you know uh, in response to Farhi, I simply just posted Jay Tapper's New York Post tweet, where Tapper and the rest of them were telling the New York Post, "Hey guys, just delete your tweet with your accurate news story in it, and Twitter will let you back on." You're and so uh, the fact that we've known about this forever, but they haven't, uh, is is one of those kind of. Uh, bring out the guillotines le Miz moments where uh it's like no this is how we always know this isn't musk doing this this is twitter policy um he could certainly you know musk could certainly end that policy or whatever um but that would that one was telling to me today where it was like oh musk didn't tell them quite that you know what they had to do he's he's pulling one over and it's like how do you guys not understand that this is what we've been dealing with for Twitter for, for years? Which is hey just delete just delete your offensive tweet and we'll let you back on. Um, and so it is funny to me that those guys are, are just sitting here acting like they're the first one to figure something out. And that's always amusing when it's... Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got Assange sitting for four years straight, four Christmases in Belmarsh prison, and then other journalists who've been jailed worldwide. And these tools are bellyaching over two days in, 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 in uh, Twitter lockup. Like, they have been... Body parts amputated. Yeah, after acting like, you know, we're leaving Twitter and it won't be that big of a deal. And, you know, one of the things I said outright is that they'll realize that they don't have anywhere else to go. And because then most of them are trying to kind of become brand influencers as well as journalists in the process, they're going to kind of learn just how hard it is not using that tool, which it is, uh, to use that. So, um uh, on your other grievances as far as DHS, I mean, that plays right into what Tom Moron just said. Um, and it, that's a good grievance to have. We have a couple of, like, good libertarian grievances already out in the open. I'll give you one more grievance. Uh, well, it's going to be kind of a high, strange one. Uh, I, I joined the crew over at Truth Talk UK, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of spinning right now over World Economic Forum business and there, there's an escalation of national ID digital ID going into into people and so I've, I've been kind of working this week for years to a point where it's really boring me and you know they're, they're like well they've upgraded the technology so that the, they can get the vaccine passport to show up in the you know electronic tattoo in your arm if, if you're in Sweden 
I'm like, okay, well, they've, they've had that for a couple of years. I'm not like, I guess I'm all dulled to it. But, uh, I mean, 50 people retweeted this tweet. It, the, the one guy who actually got paid to put this on the Federalist, I'm like, how did this happen? I'm a conspiracy theorist if I say it, but if this Joe Schmo over here, you know, gets it in the Federalist, suddenly he's a brilliant guy. <laughs> you know, what the hell am I doing? You know, should I be writing more about this? Uh, you should be writing more and often. Okay. That's my only. Okay. That's my best advice. All right. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll just hold that and uh, get off the mic. Thanks, Sheila. Merry, Merry Christmas, okay? Happy Schwanza. <laughs> Bye. Uh, she's a podcast suburb follower on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if Chris is I'm willing to bet that's probably it. Chris, go ahead. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. You, you sound like you're outside driving or somewhere cold. Really? I guess that's the noise from the heater fan, I guess. Oh, there you go. Chris, what's your grievance? Is it your Twitter I, account? I got two. Oh, I'm, I'm just resolved that I'll probably never get it back. I don't know what's going on on that place when they said they would get somebody back. But that's not a grievance. I got two today. One is following along with Town Moron. The FBI had the laptop a year before October the 14th. And what we've learned, and I can, through the back channels and stuff, figure out what's been going on with these Twitter files. It's just, if if the House of Representatives do not, I mean, to me, that should be their whole focus. Some of this other batshit stuff I really don't care about. I cannot stand Donald Trump, but I like, I'd rather have a conservative in there. And, and everything went pretty good for four years, except for that. And he probably would get reelected if he didn't do the whole election crap he did and called everybody to Washington. But my main grievance on this deal is the FBI. I see this thing as something orchestrated. The New York Post and all this stuff is something orchestrated from the people in Washington, D.C. in the FBI, just like they did the whole Russian collusion thing. I mean, I'll even go as far as say maybe some of these people that were in contact with Twitter did not know everything the FBI actually did know about that laptop. They knew everything on it, and they knew how damaging it would be. And, I mean, this has to stop. And my second grievance, now I've done lost my train of thought. Good grief. Say something, maybe I'll think of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think there needs to at least be, there has to be hearings on, I guess I want to say all of it in the sense of, um, you know, when you say Hunter Biden, they kind of say, oh, you know, how are we really going to waste our time with this? But it plays into everything. It plays into who at the FBI, you know, knew about this. Why did, why was this post from the New York Post banned, even though, like you said, they knew about it? Jim Baker, in my opinion, needs to testify. 
The New York Post, speaking of, has a great story out today about this Facebook, Twitter is just stocked with ex-FBI CIA officials. And we knew that, obviously, through Twitter. But now you have the New York Post is pointing at a guy named Aaron Berman, who does misinformation policy at Meta, which Meta's Facebook. And he is formerly CIA senior analytics manager. And so you have social media companies are just stock top to bottom of former feds. And so uh, I guess that's one of the good things about uh, Musk taking over. And the second greatest, I mean, I mean, this is this is serious stuff on this, this FBI stuff. I mean, we, I wouldn't care if they just totally did away with the FBI and started with something else, because I mean, they're out of control. They're rogue. But my second grievance is the freaking Senate Republicans and Mitch McConnell. I've been a Mitch McConnell fan for quite a while, but I'm, I can't abide by what they passed this week without getting any consistency. The only thing they wanted was the, the uh, aid to Ukraine. Now, I support us helping Ukraine. I think there needs to be some oversight to it, but I'm for that. But they didn't get any consolation, any anything from the Democrats that I can see, and I'm not on Twitter. Has anybody seen anything besides, and the Democrats would have supported Ukraine anyway, but why did we do that? Why did we go along and pass this bill without any concessions when we had a little bit of leverage, but they needed 60 votes to get this thing passed? Uh, you're not alone in that grievance. I, I suspect that that one probably was going to come up, and I wouldn't be surprised if it comes up again. Um, I mean, you have Republicans, obviously, are in, a, in a minority, but of course you had, you know, the kind of, I mean, as much as I hate to say the cliche, establishment pretty much vote along with it. That's Collins, Murkowski, Thune, McConnell, Cornyn, um, pretty much every every one of the kind of the establishment GOP Republicans and I'm I'm kind of with you. Uh, I think that Republicans are still gun shy about being blamed for government shutdowns, and um, they just have never gotten over that fear. It's a fear that persists throughout the media, where uh, they they think that they're just going to be the bad guys no matter what, and eventually they have to stop caring about being perceived as the bad guys, especially when it comes to the media. Um, the the ironic thing about that is that most of those you know, the GOP that voted for it are people who then wonder why their voting base turns to someone like Donald Trump. And that's, this is a perfect example of it. It's going against your voters' interests. And um, as I, you know, as I said on the podcast today, Andy McCarty has a good question. It's not that we're, you know, giving aid to Ukraine in the form of armaments or again, financial aid. It's the fact that uh, we do want oversight in the fact that we can't get border security here uh, or, you know, basic needs here in this country, I do think is a legitimate question. And again, we have a media that's not interested in that debate. So uh, I, I kind of figure that one's going to come up, and I'm sure it's probably going to come up with someone else here. Um, and, and I don't have a good answer for you on that one. There, so it's, it's, it's them kind of ignoring the will of their voters, and that becomes something that it becomes very dangerous, which they've learned, and they learned it. There's, there's one thing that the Democrats did this time that kind of put, like you said, Republicans are scared they're going to get for shutting down the government 
And that's a, that's a legitimate deal, the way, you know, the way it plays out every time with our media. But they wait to the last minute, and if they'd have started this earlier, then there might have been a, you know, to make a case and everything, but waiting till the last minute. But we should break them of that. That is all I can say. No. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks, Chris. One of the problems is you need to have good candidates that can do that. And we just saw um, here in just this recent election, we didn't have or. I apologize that Colin's being a little. Yeah, I noticed Uh, my grievance is with the Stanford language police and how they don't seem to understand their own language. Uh, just want to use an example here. The word chief, circa 1300 as both an adjective and a noun, middle French, highest in rank or power as an adjective, or head or leader, captain, as a noun. Now, these both come from the Proto-Indo-European root word, caput, head, related words, captain, capital, capitalism, and so on. So, these people think this word, there's two things here, they either think this word originated from Native Americans and they're racist for using it, or they know the origin, the origination of it, and they're, they think we're stupid enough to believe that we think that they are racist for using it and they want to stop us. Either way, it's a sanitization of language meant to sanitize thought, which neither of these things are good, neither, neither of these things can go good places for anybody. Yeah, that is, I mean, we, and we, of course, we had a, we, we talked about that last episode here, but it, it is interesting how they 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 associate our own meaning is racist and we need to change it <laughs> and there's a few there's a few of the words on that list that do that uh i don't have it like right in for actually no look at this i i still have it in a tab look how good i am um but they say like you guys trigger warning is is another one and uh i mean trigger warning was kind of something that they came up with i we haven't even heard the term trigger warning until about 3 4 5 years ago um and now it's used kind of pejoratively by you know ironically by people against them and so yeah it it's interesting how like you said they they kind of twist the meaning of words to mean something offensive to them and then they use that you know, they use that logic to then say, we need to. Yeah, it's just offensive in several ways. Uh, Like, I really like I'm not a snowflake or anything being offended. It's offensive to me as a language nerd and someone who's an English major. Like, I understand how this stuff works. And it's just mind boggling to me that I know they have to know how this stuff works. And they're pretending they don't because they want to have, continue to have this control over the culture and over the language. And it's just infuriating that they keep thinking that the, it's probably they're probably going to get away with it because a lot of people don't understand this in the way that very few people like myself. I'm not talking myself up, but because I'm just interested in this like myself do. And just this grievance is just huge with me because it's in how infuriating it is that they think they can get away with this and they probably will. Yeah. I mean, and that's what we talked about is it's, it's, it's something where we laugh about and we go, Oh my God, look at these philosophy and they take it to tech companies, for example, where they're put into positions of power where they can ban users on social media. Um, they take it to, 
you know, companies, corporations, they take, you know, they become a lawyer and they take it into the ACLU, for example. ACLU has lost complete meaning from its original intent as an organization. And it's not something that can just be kind of completely laughed off anymore. And that was kind of the point of uh, when we held the call in for it the other night. Um, it, they don't change. I mean, they, they take what they learn, they take what is taught to them and they take that into the real world. And we thought that, Hey, once they're in the real world, they'll get a, you know, a, a huge kick of reality in the teeth about how the world works. And it turns out, nope, they, they ended up changing it. And like I said, especially in, you know, places like Northern California and Silicon Valley, where they are very keenly aware of the influence that they can have should they join a company like Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or, you know, even Twitter at this point. And so, yeah, it's it's not something that can just be kind of brushed off, which was kind of the whole point of when we when we did that episode. So, Josh, thank you. I agree with you. Um, that's another that's another good grievance to have there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump up. I'm going to move Matt from Jersey. Might as well. Hold on. Happened to Sean. What the what? Seanica. <laughs> we got a new one today, didn't we? From the former speaker. We got Schwanza. Schwanza. She, she was trying to think yeah, of know. like every holiday to, to cover to where no one would get offended if they, and she didn't think Kwanzaa and she ended up like saying shawarma or some shit. Like she said, happy, happy Schwanza. It, it was the three martini lunch for the speaker today. I think they're all three martini lunches, especially if she's on her. <laughs> I'll rapid fire mine. I've got three, um, maybe four, but I won't be, I won't talk about them too long. Maybe one or two. I will. Um, first one's movies. I'm a movie guy like you. Um, I love movies. I love sitting down watching movies. The film industry is so bad now. You you used to be able to sit down and find a decent movie at like pretty much on a weekend. And now there's fucking nothing. I mean, I am like reaching to find something decent I think, um, on a monthly basis. I think basis. what's interesting is this is also award season. And so mm-hmm. this is like we're, we have one or two months. We're supposed to have one or two months, you know, November, December, January of like good films. And I'm kind of with you. There's just not a lot out there right now. And I also think the industry is suffering from oversaturation, um, especially with streaming options. And they're just pumping out, you know, every every like streaming service is pumping out original content now, but they're doing it so fast and so haphazardly that it's just not very good. Like there's, there's maybe one good Netflix film that they, you know, a tentpole film, which we know they're cutting back on because of subscriberships are declining. Um, But yeah, this is like the time of year when you should be able to like load up on three or four good films to go see in a theater. And I am not sitting through fucking avatar. You know what? And the thing with me is like, at this point, I'd probably f- pay fifty dollars to stream something decent on demand. So I'm not even shitting you. Like, there's nothing. There's like not even an option. And I'll pay, I'll like poke around and I'll look and I'll and I'll pay for something like four or five bucks and rent it on, and stream it, and it'll be terrible. Um, I think Samuel Jackson said a bunch of years, maybe it was during the Kill Bills, where he was like, he kind of like you know foreshadowed it. He was like, listen, like. These Kill Bill movies are, this is like the end of, this is like the end of good movies. And it might've been the second one. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not a 2022 problem. It's like a decade long, just 
nothing burger. So it's terrible. Um, second one um, is I, it's, I don't know if it's a, well, two of them. One is people being on their phones too much. Um, I, I'm okay with people talking on their phone, but people being on their phones way too much, it's just got to stop and kind of ties into this second one or third one kind of ties into that last one is I think people should be allowed. And I'm try to be very polite to people. I think I am most for the most part of my life, but I think we should be allowed to start telling people to fuck off a little bit more in public. Or if somebody's really in the wrong, just tell them like, you're just a fucking idiot and explain why. And cause I think some people, this is my thing is like, the people who don't realize they're morons need to hear it from the people that aren't and the people that act like idiots. They're not told enough that they are. So that's just the grievance I had, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, how, how jonesing are you to be sitting in a movie theater, watching a bad movie and seeing somebody on their phone? While they're talking. All, just all of your grievances in one in one little happy place. Are you someone that... When you see someone on their phone or their phone goes off in a movie, do you tell them to shut the fuck up? No, I, you know what? See, I am. I am that guy. <laughs> the, the thing that, the thing that bothers me is that people who just like it, I think like spatial awareness is a really big thing. If you have really good spatial awareness, like you're going to go far in life, but people who have poor spatial awareness, like in a, in an airport where they're on their phone or they're just meandering, like pay attention I think those people need to be told that, like, listen, like, you got to have a head on a swivel. Like, somebody could, somebody could bump into you. You're holding up the flow of traffic. If there was a fire, like, you just your, your reaction time's not going to be great. Like, that person needs to be pulled aside, put in timeout, and have and, and just and just have a quick explanation of what's going on. And they just need to they need to hear it from somebody who has good spatial awareness. Uh, something interesting about film is that you you bring up the Kill Bill films. And, you know, I've talked about this in the past to where there pretty much are only two filmmakers working today where their film is an event and it's Tarantino and it's Christopher Nolan. So when you see like the Oppenheimer trailer, it's one of those where everyone stops and watches it uh, because it's Christopher Nolan and there just isn't those filmmakers anymore. So when you, I mean, that's what made, you know, uh, you, you can argue Top Gun Maverick is another example of that. But um, and people have asked me, like, what's the best film I saw this year? And I, I just off the top of my head, I'm like, the best the best experience I had seeing a movie this year was Maverick. There's and it's not even close because it's a real fucking movie. <laughs> like they actually like, hey, maybe we should send these actors up in a jet. And um, but Tarantino is another one. Like when you go to his film, you're you're getting immersed into an environment. And that's why, I mean, once upon a Holly, once upon a time in Hollywood is probably my favorite. I think it's his best film. Um, you know, just Brad Pitt driving his car and having a shot where he's, you know, Tarantino has redesigned parts of Hollywood to look like, you know, 1973, 1974 Hollywood. And those are things that just aren't done in movies anymore. And that's also why, you know, Maverick is kind of being hailed as a film that saved movie theaters because this isn't, you know, sterile Marvel green screen shit where guys are smashing action figures together, which is why I think people have, I know that these movies still sell out and I know that they're hits, but I think people have pretty much had their fill of Marvel for a while. There just isn't, there isn't any more stories to really tell. 
And when you get a film like, you know, Top Gun Maverick, where it's a real film and they're really up there and they're really doing this, it kind of re-energizes you about movies. And it's also why, again, I, I have no desire to sit through Avatar. I think COVID killed the Avatar style movie experience, which is 3D glasses and you go and you sit and whatever. And I, like, I don't even know, there's no theaters around me that still even offer 3D. So that, you know, Cameron's coming back and he's going to do a 3D experience. And this was something that was really exciting 12 years ago. And it was like, oh, shit, this, you know, this is not like something I've ever seen. And then now it's just kind of like, eh, I'm not going to spend three hours going to that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I talked about that a little bit today. And I don't know what it is. It takes a lot to get me out to go see a movie right now. And uh, part of that is just there's not very many good movies out. There's some that are kind of in that paradox zone where they're going to be on streaming here in two weeks. So uh, why am I going to go do that? Um, I think, believe it or not, the last film that I just, I sat down at home and I watched was Terrifier 2 because I wanted to, and I'm not, I'm not a gore horror guy. I'm an, I'm an atmosphere horror guy. Um, But I just, I don't like, you know, just copious amounts of gore thrown at me. And I kind of fucking enjoyed Terrifier 2. I liked it. It was so kind of over the top and uh, it had kind of a mystical element to it. It's sort of like the Dream Warriors with Freddy Krueger. And um, so that was like literally the last film I just sat down and I mainly watched that through word of mouth. And so, um, yeah, I'm with you. There's just, this is, it's weird that this is supposed to be like busy season and I probably can't name, you know, 10 films on a 10 best list that I saw this year. It it's terrible. I mean, I even gave the um, what's the uh, Brad Pitt train movie? I knew it was oh terrible. Bullet Train. Yeah, I had. But I was like, oh, I'm like, how bad? I'm like, how bad could this be? And then I was 15 minutes in, and I was like, this is this is terrible. Yeah, it's a, re- it's like, a remake be- too. It's a remake off of a Japanese oh. film. So I was kind of it, like, yeah, I, Bullet Train doesn't look interesting to me, and maybe it's just my old my older age where it's just like I'm pickier about what I choose to sit through. But I also think it's, again, it's saturation. It's, you know, they have to keep churning out content. And so, you know, you get bad products. And that's kind of what... The other interesting thing about Bullet Train to me, it's like, when did all of, like, these 60-year-old dudes decide to become action stars? And I didn't throw Tom Cruise into that. Like, it's it's kind of weird, because Brad Pitt was never really known for being an action guy. And, like, his last three or four or five films have all been that. I know he's in Babylon, which is another one he talked about I'm not going to see. Uh, but even like Tom Cruise is just like known as action guy now. And like Tom Cruise 10 years ago was mainly a dramatic actor, some comedy. Um, so it's kind of weird that as these guys get older and, you know, male action stars are now kind of all in their 40s and 50s. Um, so but yeah, it's like I said, you have two filmmakers right now where they are event films like they are known for their films. And so you can sell a film based on the guy who directed and wrote it. And that's Nolan and Tarantino. And there's not really a a close. And I think it ties into the theme of your, more of your libertarian bent and mine as well. Tarantino a couple of years ago, I forget who it was, but I think they kind of said, Hey man, don't you think you should tone down the violence and the (laughs) and some of the gratuitous, like, yeah, he was like, it was like a Philadelphia morning show. And she's and, and like, why are your uh, films so violent? He's like, because it's fun, Jan. He and, did. Uh, he did what yeah. I said. He told that he said, actually, no, you need to go get fucked. And here's the reason why. And that and that keeps the, you know, the authenticness of his uh, movies. I think the four I think the fourth grievance I have, I know your your crowd isn't necessarily the crowd for it. 
But I'm a two-time voter for the guy. Trump, people have got to realize, I know, you're, I, I, I know your followers and, and the people you subscribe to your podcast aren't, you know, you get some big Trump people. I, I'm kind of one of those like reformed ones, but people just need to just realize in 2023, they just need to move on and ignore. And that's it. We'll talk to you later, brother. Uh, yeah, well, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Coming, starting the end of this year, Zach, go ahead. I know Zach has some grievances. Thanks for waiting. Zach's grievances might be. Well, yeah, obviously skipping me that that's up there, but, um, I agree with, with pretty much everyone up to this point, but I want to, I want to call out someone by name. And that is uh, Chief Runs With Premise, Elizabeth Warren, and her entire act now of she sees something and then she posts an angry tweet about it and she's like, we need to ban this. And this this hit home a couple of years ago when uh, they were changing the tax code in the middle of tax season and she tweets out that Congress needs to punish the tax prep industry. Fuck you, lady. You're the one changing shit in the middle of the season, not me. And number two, if we had our way, the tax code wouldn't be the unholy mess of a dumpster fire it is now. My favorite one is what she blames inflation on. And says that uh, we basically need. She basically goes after every single like thing, and it's become kind of a meme on social media where uh, she's like going after big food, <laughs> where she's blaming grocery. She's blaming grocery stores for having to raise prices due to inflation that was caused by all. Of- um. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that. That's that's kind of the thing. And you know, her, her answer is always the same. It's 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 her. Over oppressive government. Her, her, her latest one is Elon Musk took over Twitter, but he's still CEO of Tesla. That raises legal concerns. Is he creating conflicts of interest? Is he mis- misappropriating company resources? Tesla is not Musk's private plaything. I've got many questions for the Tesla board. Yeah, so she just basically gets into the thing of the moment. That's actually, I mean, what tanked her entire presidential campaign is, what? I mean, she, she was being talked up. Uh, a lot as, you know, a presidential front runner in, in 2020. And then she kind of gets in there and she ends up fourth or fifth because they were just trying to, tr- you know, throw spaghetti at the wall at the current thing. And uh, that's kind of what her team does. To, and it's all about kind of staying relevant in the conversation. But it's, yeah, it's, I have questions for the Tesla. No, actually, Tesla is Musk's private th- play thing. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly the government subsidy program or anything that he's in, but um, no, you're, you're actually wrong about both. Well, and, and, you know, that, that's another thing that kind of, that's on my list is you will see, and like you've seen it a lot in, in political campaigns where someone's running and they're like, elect me and I'll investigate. And, you know, Trump was a big one for a while. And I'll investigate Trump. It's like, that's not how this works. Usually you have to have some type of evidence uh, that there was something before you investigate. But, you know, it's become it's become political to say, well, vote for me and I'll investigate this person or I'll investigate this or 
you know, I'll do X, Y, and Z that, that typically we don't do unless there's a reason. And I mean, this, this goes back to the, um, to the FBI. And uh, I remember somebody telling you that you should read the Elvis Chan deposition before you did. Wonder who that was. Uh, I, I haven't read, I've read some of it, not as much uh, that I, I need to want to and would like to. Um, because, I mean, it was interesting. Like, I didn't see, I wrote about the Fauci deposition. It was one of those things like people did, felt like they couldn't be bothered to actually sit down and read. And I was like, um, no, if you've been following this, you know, a lot of his answers were interesting, even the I don't recall answers, whatever. Um, because it's the first time he kind of faced legal questioning over some of this stuff. And what, regardless, whatever you think about the Missouri, Missouri, Louisiana lawsuit, if there's smoke or if there's fire, um, it's interesting that Jen Psaki tried to get out of it and she could not get out of it. She's, she, she has to sit for a deposition in this lawsuit. And it's the first, this is like the first time some of these people have had to go on the record legally where they're not, you know, on a comfortable, especially Fauci, where he's not, you know, on Sunday morning uh, TV with a host who likes him and he can worm his way out of an answer in five minutes if he's talking to Rand Paul because the, the senators only have limited amount of questioning. So it was the first time someone like Fauci had to sit for seven hours and answer questions on all of the shit that kind of happened through the pandemic. And almost nobody in media, and that includes conservative media, sat down, read it, and picked up on it. I didn't see very many threads at all. And so I still want to sit down and read the Elvis Chan uh, deposition, and uh, maybe I'll do that over, you know, long Christmas break or something. Um, but I'm I'm really intrigued and interested to, to see what uh, comes of Jen Psaki. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and it was probably Jen Psaki who led to this whole thing when she at the podium said, oh, well, we're working with social media companies to to identify and remove misinformation, which is actually misinformation was the name of a South Park character selling um, all natural holistic remedies. But, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if it led to it, but um, it's interesting that, you know, Saki said, we are working with social media companies to have, you know, disinformation removed. It was kind of the Nina Jankowicz zombie board. Um, but then you had Karine Jean-Pierre say just last week, two weeks ago, no, we these are private companies. They We don't tell them to remove accounts. Well, OK, so who is lying? The answer is yes. And so uh, Jen Saki's probably going to sit down and pull the I do not recalls and, and do all of that again. Um, but that in and itself, what people don't understand is there are going to be hearings over COVID. That's pretty much guaranteed. And at least the origins of COVID, which I said repeatedly, it's interesting that the Biden administration just has zero uh, curiosity to even get to the bottom of this or hold hearings. We're still talking about January 6th, but we haven't had a single congressional hearing on COVID origins or uh, specifically, you know, what do we do about, say, funding gain of function in hostile foreign countries? Um, and so that's, I told people and I wrote at Spectator, I was like, this is the first time where, you know, members of Congress are, can, can read over Fauci's answers that he gave in a deposition under oath legal with a real threat of perjury. I mean, 
people are gonna say he perjured himself in front of Congress. Yeah, I mean, Lois Lerner did too, and nothing even fucking happened to her. So that's not even what I'm kind of really talking about. Um, but it's the first time, as I said, I'm going to probably be writing in Newsweek some advice to members of Congress, like, here's how you have to question him. You have to know his terminology and you have to know how he uses it so you can ask him on it specifically, or he just worms his way out of it and says, you're not a, you're not an expert or a doctor. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and as for one last grievance, do you know who the attorney was in the government who made the decision not to go after Lois Lerner? Uh, it's it's not the guy who's now in, in put. It's not special counsel in charge of Trump, is it? It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. He has an interesting history. He's also the guy who went after Bob McDonnell, um, a few other Republicans, and so not not the exact kind of non politicized choice if you were Merrick Garland to lead that. No, no, he he uh, he pulls crimes out of his ass, and so with that, um, I will I will leave you to it. And I too am also looking forward to Cocaine Bear the movie, <laughs> and not Cocaine looks, Bear the next. Yeah, Elizabeth Elizabeth line. Banks did that. She kind of comes out of the Judd Apatow tree of humor. Um, she did the Charlie's Angels film. She directed. Um, I gotta tell you, man, that, that feels like one that is a funnier concept if someone else does it. Cause I saw that trailer and I just cringed. I was like, this is like, it's a film that is trying to get by on just pure viral energy. So it's just the idea of the poster and it's cocaine bear. It's a film about a cocaine bear. And it's one of those things like snakes on a plane. And then I just see the trailer and it's just like a CGI cartoon bear. And I'm just like, I'm already off of this. So who knows? Well, well, I wouldn't, to be fair, I wouldn't, wouldn't be on a set and give a real black bear cocaine and see what happens. No, but you, no, but you can like have a real trained bear in scenes. You don't have to like actually give it cocaine. It's not a documentary. Um, but I mean, you can, you can actually have a real bear. This is like what we were just talking about, about like what, how bad CGI and effects can look, um, and so I, I just saw the tra- trailer for it, and I was like, eh, it looks like a 100% CGI bear the whole time. And so you know I was what? like, eh, I think I'm off. I, th- I think I'm out of this. You know what? Take that back. I do think you should get a real bear and give it cocaine, and we should uh, just uh, put it in the middle of Washington, D.C., and see if he makes some improvements to the town. There we go. I can be talked into anything. Go ahead with your uh, your festivist grievances. There he is. Go ahead. Hey, so sorry. Um, so my my grievances kind of come with the omnibus bill, and mostly with the NDA part of it. But I think it's crazy that right now when we're like looking at severe conflicts with possibly China on top of Russia, that so many people have a problem with spending more money on our military to get us up to the point where we can actually have an ability in that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a real problem with military spending, Um, And I don't have any real problem with, again, spending for aiding Ukraine against Russia. I think that what people want is a roadmap and saying, you know, 
um, how long is this going to be? Are we going 10 years with, with this? Because it very well could last 10 years. I mean, it's not, it's not a conflict that's just going to solve itself. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not like for Ukraine, I'm not even actually for the funding of Ukraine because I think that's getting into us a bigger, putting us into a bigger problem and taking a deficit from, one, looking after our country, but looking after our military and expanding to be able to go after China, because I view China as a real threat, not Russia. Uh, I think that they're both real threats in different cases. I think China has a ver- has a has a very good understanding of a long term plan. And their plan is to basically wield economic and social power over the over the Western Hemisphere, and that includes the United States, it includes Europe, and they've done a very, very good job of making sure that that is already happening, whether it's TikTok or influencing in film, speaking of Marvel, uh, their influence over media, how media will not criticize them because of their market, and, so, and it, it comes down to their population, and uh, we just saw for... Uh, for the first time, India is, is looks poised to take over China in population. Thanks, COVID. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, they're they're two different, completely different threats and animals, and how you have to deal with them. Uh, you know, Putin is someone who wants to take his country back to circa nineteen seventy eighty. That's he's an old Cold War KGB guy. He believes in kind of the expansionism of Russia used by force to again Ukraine. Uh, to return to glorious country of Mother Russia. China is looking forward, and they have a, like I said, a well-designed social plan and a a technological plan uh, to basically wield economic power and influence. And we, I don't, I just don't even know if we have the fortitude to take it on. Uh, I mean, China could start a trade war tomorrow and cripple several of our, you know, industries just just if they decided to and it's why they're allowed to get away with being a currency manipulator and it's also why so many in our government are afraid to speak yeah i i fully agree with that but i think that as we're looking forward when you have people in our government kind of saying like taiwan will be a place that we would take action towards that our military really needs to move forward and we spent 20 years in counter VO and the technologies that we were worried about then and we need to move forward. So like the funding needs to go towards our own military, not Ukraine. And we've seen with Russia that they do have technology, but in their fight with Ukraine, it hasn't been like robust. It hasn't, uh, we can still fight towards that as we've been aiding Ukraine with this whole situation. Yeah. You're, you're not alone in how you feel. As I said on my podcast yesterday, um, my, my biggest problem with Ukraine is we, there, there's no, there's no debate about any of this, especially among our debate class that are paid to do this. It's either if you bring up these questions, you're anti-American and anti-Ukraine and you're a, and you're a Putin puppet with a, with a secret P tape. Um, and if you bring up questions again, like if you're pro Ukraine about wanting to, to aid and fund against Russia, uh, you're, you're a neocon warhawk who just wants to, you know, get more, more kids dead who are soldiers. And so, 
usually on those things like that, it's it's when I just check out and I I kind of keep my thoughts to myself. It's it, Ukraine is such a silly season topic where everyone uh, becomes their worst selves, and that's that to me is is dangerous because if you can't openly debate topics, and this goes back to kind of what Tal Moran is saying, if you can't openly debate these topics then again, it becomes dangerous in the sense of one side dominates a conversation. Um, there's almost like no doubt in my mind that old Twitter, if old Twitter was still in charge and Elon Musk wasn't owning it and whatever, that the accounts would be getting banned for criticizing Zelensky in Ukraine, like hundred percent. Um, and so again, it's one of those things where there's the people paid to debate this for the rest of us to listen to aren't interested in that. They're interested in just kind of painting their opponent with either, you know, uh, Ukrainian corruption or, or uh, being a Putin stooge. And so, and that's how you end up with, you know, $50 billion or million dollars, however much it was in the omnibus bill with, with any very little. Yeah. Along with that, like there are people being banned today, yesterday, everything from Twitter for just posting the picture of Zelensky in Congress with the flag and having critical remarks about it, which is kind of insane. I don't know if Elon has like a rogue employee in there that's doing that. Uh, I haven't seen, I've seen people mention this. I haven't seen the actual accounts. I know that there's one that I follow that is banned for one or two possible reasons. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's still going to be people at Twitter policy who are going to ban hammer. And then I guess this is always the problem with people tweeting at Elon Musk, like, hey, tell me what's going on with this. Like, he's not your all-powerful Santa Claus here. <laughs> um, you know, he's, there's still people in that company that deal with banning accounts for, you know, lewd comments or racist comments or whatever. And so it's it's always kind of funny to me when I see people like at Elon Musk, Elon, tell me what's going on with this account. Like, like you think he really fucking cares? I mean, I don't. Uh, I think he's too busy doing other things. And so, yeah, he probably has people that are delegating this. They might be under instruction, uh, you know, to say we're not we're no longer banning accounts this way. Or the other thing, it's probably algorithm triggered as well. And then they go back and they look at it. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? I don't know. So a lot of the things the people were posting that they were banned were saying that it was because the picture they posted of Zelensky in Congress with the flag was an intimate photo, which is insane to me because it's in Congress, like our house. It's the yeah. people's house, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this falls under, as I, you know, and I don't know if you subscribe to my podcast, but this is falls under why I don't really tweet anything about Ukraine because I don't even know if that's true. Like people saying that that's why it was banned, whatever. I just kind of shrug and go, I don't know that. And I kind of try to stay out of the, the, the propaganda war that happens online, whether it's, it's anything, whether it's Ukraine or even if it's protests in China or Iran, or as we learned our own, you know, state department or DOD who was using Twitter for propaganda campaigns. Um, I try to just remain skeptical of everyone and everything. So I, I, I think everyone in this room right now is a fed, including you. So um, I might be, I might be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, whether or not people were getting banned for that or just saying it again, I kind of just shrug and go, we don't really know. And I'm not going to retweet that. So who knows? Yeah, I guess my real point is I feel like we shouldn't be spending money on Ukraine when our own military, if you look at 
like the war games and all the stuff you've probably seen the articles in the news about us versus China where we're lacking yep. and we're like, yeah, here's another $45 billion. Go ahead. Yep. Nope, it's, and it's, our, our own military can't get garbage bags. Yeah, it's a, it's a point that you are certainly uh, not alone in making. It's not You're not the only one to have that grievance. So, Jay, thank you. I'm going to move on to, uh, to John, and then I'm going to – I thought about kicking Jacqueline, but it's Christmas, so we'll get through it. But thank you, Jay. Yep. Go ahead, and uh, if you mute, I'll, I will just kick you out of the bar. There we go. John, go ahead. Give me your. You know, I'm so glad Jacqueline's on here because I'm about to ring up one of your no no subjects. So, my grievance is fuck David French in the dispatch. Um, I, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's this year that really gets Over what, what specific uh, grievance, uh, bef- be, before we get too much into that, what's your specific grievance this year? Two things. Two things. Two things. First, um, Dobbs gets repealed. And they may, barely made a peep about it. Uh, this is a long, as a social conservative, this is a long time coming, a big deal. And David French has, a, has perfunctory remarks about how good it is, but he might as well be someone who, uh, it's not his issue. And he thinks that the uh, constitutionality of Roe was bad. And he's glad that the constitutionality, uh, that, that the constitution was upheld. And that was it. Um, there was no trumpeting from the head tops. The second point is uh, David on uh, the uh, whatever the gay marriage bill was called, you know, the Respect Marriage Act or whatever, and his, his flip-flop flip on that, uh, which just cemented to me that the man has no actual uh, philosophical principles behind his political positions. The entire thing that he's been stressing for the past number of years, and, and I was a, a longtime listener to uh, him on the National Review podcast and the reader, all these things, and his whole thing was, well, see, conservatives, what they really need to do is they need to stop trying to focus on Trump and politics and get things politically and focus on the culture. And then there's a bill that would cement gay marriage as law which would gain, which would just further cement the already present cultural acceptance, and he's cool with that. So the, I, I don't think the guy really has any uh, uh, sound sound principles there. It just seems to me that he's just appealing to his Atlantic readership. Um, I, I long suspect that Jonah Goldberg did not have any true social conservatism in him, that he was mostly just opposed to anti-woke stuff, uh, and left excesses, and I had that confirmed. I had a tweet thread this uh, earlier this year uh, where I was critiquing him, and he actually commented. I was shocked. I'm a nobody on Twitter. He had like you know, eleven thousand followers. I'm oh, sorry, eleven hundred followers. And he replied to it, and uh, he didn't reply to any of the substantive criticism. which basically said that he doesn't want to engage in any you know kind of social moral value judgments. Uh, he just wants to engage in uh, liberal liberalism, small small L process arguments uh, by saying that I had mischaracterized him about Trump. So on, on the whole, this was the year when I felt that those on the right who I who are principled anti-Trump um, 
and had left the fold of Ashley fully sold out. We already knew that all the other Never Trumpers were just they become Democrats. This was the year when we realized I think that that uh, French, uh, Jonah Hayes, and and all their ilk had fully just sold out. Uh, I don't think you're completely off. Um, I think part of is there's you know there's a part of this where. David is someone to me who certainly kind of hears, you know, the trumpets in his own head every time he writes. Um, he's very much self-indulgent that way. I, I think part of it is there is a anti-Trump reaction that you cannot accept any part of him uh, or any action of his as legitimate if you are truly in your soul and in your bones really morally against Trump. And I think he's one of those people. So when Dobbs gets overturned, he can acknowledge it with a tweet and say, you know, this is a victory, whatever. But the reason Dobbs got overturned is because of a conservative majority on the Supreme Court that was largely thanks to obviously Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. And so if David or if I, and I, w- I would argue that kind of that whole sect of conservative commentary, Steve Hayes as David from the Atlantic, as you said, um, and I do think that that whole crew has been Atlantic sized, um, where they have to kind of write in a way that, uh, is acceptable to the audience of the Atlantic. Um, my problem is, is that Kevin Williamson was a colleague of David French and, uh, Kevin Williamson being dismissed from the Atlantic is still something to this day that I don't think that those people should be forgiven for or be allowed to forget. And so that's kind of my problem with David going to the Atlantic. But I think where it comes from is if you really believe that Donald Trump's presidency is a moral abomination and a constitutional abomination, especially with January 6th or whatever, you can't really give much clearance or credit to his accomplishments, whether that be the Abraham Accords, the Supreme Court justices, or what have you, because if he does that, he knows he's just going to get lit up in social media and probably comments or, or the dispatch or the blog or wherever about, oh, you know, you, so you like that Dobbs got overturned. Well, what, those are all Trump judges. <laughs> and so I that's at least my opinion on it. Um, I have kind of seen what I do think is a change in his politics and in his morals, if, if you think that he has those or if not, whatever. Um, and I do think a lot of that has to do with the audiences that websites like his, like Dispatch and Atlantic, cater. Um, they wouldn't be at those places writing what they are if they if they didn't kind of change their ways. Um, I'm not much into religious writing, and I think that that's the stuff that kind of really kind of bugs me the most right now. It's um, how I'm the most kind of important evangelical and you're trying to ostracize me while allowing X, Y, Z. And it's kind of, that's what I mean about kind of hearing cherubs in your head and trumpets in your head when you write. Um, it, it doesn't always have to be self-centered around you. I think that that's my advice or my problem for David and, and bringing it back around to what Town Moron said. Um, not everything is viewed through the First Amendment when it comes for free speech. And David has argued free speech cases uh, in front of the Supreme Court. So it's a topic that he knows well. And to kind of dismiss what happened at Twitter with, you know, the FBI infiltration and former FBI agents over at Twitter deciding, you know, we're going to ban 
COVID misinformation and to kind of just shrug that off and say, well, it's not a First Amendment issue. They could like, no, nobody's making that argument. But we know where this leads if, if you do not push back against it. And I guess I look at my fight as different than his fight, where I, I look at being allowed to speak on the Internet right now is uh, of paramount importance because of what we just saw pulled back. We know who is behind running social media companies. We know what they're trying to do. And the fact that they censored people over health information that they themselves aren't really that familiar with, because we've seen so much of it flip-flop and some of it taken back, the fact that you can just write that off as, well, that's not actually a First Amendment issue. What's interesting is I, I haven't seen people really argue about the First Amendment uh, in, in who I follow. Glenn, Glenn Greenwald's not out here making a First Amendment argument. It's a censorship argument. And you have corporate press going along with it because they've decided that, I don't know, to save democracy, we need to silence half of the country. And so those are kind of my issues and where I just don't gel with a lot of what he's talking about, a lot of what he's writing right now. Um, I, I guess my advice is, I, I, as I've always said, um, as someone who's worked with David, I'm friendly with David. I don't, I still to this day don't understand. And, and this is the airing of the grievances. You're allowed to do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not putting you down, but I guess I don't understand the white hot rage. And like I've always said, if, if his writing now bothers you or if he's not opinion, just don't follow or listen to him anymore. Um, I don't really even see him on social media, which is kind of weird. Um, I haven't seen a dispatch story uh, in weeks. And so I don't know if that's the old algorithm getting thrown out um, along with like the Rex Chapmans and things like that. Um, but that's kind of just always been my advice. Um, I've always kind of, I've always questioned his, his oversized influence among conservative punditry. Uh, but maybe I'm just off on that and I'm different on that. Um, but again, I, I never just kind of understood why he generates a white hot rage. Is it maybe it's because he does pontificate from upon high a lot? And like I said, where he you know he hears trumpets kind of going off, and uh, he makes the case that I only I am the good evangelical, and he doesn't seem to listen or rationalize why other evangelicals went for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, and that was largely in part of pro life, pro choice. Um, and so, if you make those arguments. And something like Dobbs happens, you don't allow yourself a lot of wiggle room to go, okay, yeah, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh are on the Supreme Court. And I think that that's probably where that stems from. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I muted him on, on Twitter months ago. Uh, and well, there you I, go. I generally just follow your, your social media advice. And so, you know, I, you know, if I don't want to see him in my timeline, I, I, I don't. Um, as far as where the white hot rage goes, speaking, and it's not, uh, so and it's not just you. Section. I mean, it's if you're in my podcast comments, yeah. it's 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 yeah, at I, least I, once I, a I week, am, and, I'm, I and I kind of just shrug at and, it. And uh, and I have been some of those comments you have not read, and I understand why. I uh, and it, it's it's it, to be honest, it's not your it's not your issue. Um, uh, I I think the real reason why why there's so many people pissed off, and obviously I'm pissed off at at French is not the Trump and the Blair firm on high. It's the it's the styling himself as a uh, as a principled conservative Christian and speaking from a Christian position from Christian principles and then with the takes he gives, um, it gets into matters of theology and morals and 
And uh, basically, how dare you tell me that if I'm not following your exact take that I'm being a bad Christian? That's that's the general implication that comes off of him. Yeah, um, I've seen that, and, and, and I would uh, agree. And like I said, yeah. he does have that style of punditry and writing where, yeah. you know, he kind of nails himself up on the cross a lot. And I do see that. And I've had people, you know, where I'm talking with other colleagues or whatever who who. Even even people that he aligns with, ninety you know ninety six ninety seven percent of the time, again there is an element of you know I, I'm nailing myself up here and you must all. And and, and like I said also, uh, uh, John Goldberg is also a grievance. Um, uh, but you've been over those those paths so well that I won't repeat them. Um, I'll I'll just end by by saying. Uh, uh, like those old Rush Limbaugh callers, uh, I agree with you uh, probably like 75% of the time. And the times when I don't agree with you, I recognize it's not your issue, so I don't give a shit. Anyway, uh, you have a good holiday. Um, I am derelict on getting back to my family, and my sister-in-law is about to show up for Christmas in about like 30 minutes, so I better go. So anyway, uh, yeah. have a Merry Christmas, and uh, I'm glad Jacqueline's after me, so this doesn't end on me being such a weirdo <laughs> with James French. Yeah, you're in trouble. Go go do your Christmas. <laughs> All right. All right. Damon, just pick people out of the queue button, so we'll go. Jacqueline, air your final grievances for me, for me and, and everyone else here in the room for this Christmas. Well, happy Merry Kwanzaa Christmas Cup to everybody. And uh, I was going to go with my first grievance as being the fact that the Lightning versus Sabres game got postponed yesterday because it's too damn cold up there. And also it's too damn cold down here for me. It's 47 degrees and I can't live like this. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, you're, you're really going through the struggle there right now <laughs> yeah there's there's thousands of floridians huddled around barrel fires you guys you guys are going to be hobo poaching before the end of the weekend looking for food <laughs> yeah i have friends in minneapolis and it's like negative 30 degrees with wind chill and i'm like last night and i was like oh it's 60 degrees here i played a (laughs) hockey game and it was it was negative 11 outside the the rink and it was so uh, i don't know if you it glitched out again i it was three degrees on uh, on the ice for me last night and it was fun at first and then it was like now i'm over this so yeah you you have all of our thoughts and prayers for you people going through fucking a mild spring uh down in and um my other grievance we uh you were talking about the whole stanford language experiment and people like talking about the algorithms and stuff that uh twitter was using well um just a couple hours ago i got banned from facebook for seven days for making a joke about it being cold and saying i was going to murder someone if it doesn't warm up soon so and i like i appealed the decision you were you were banned for the death threat you were banned because they saw someone in florida bitching about 60 degree weather (laughs) and you deserve it (laughs) 
my 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 last uh, grievance would be the fact that <laughs> what the, my last my last grievance would be that um, you don't publish four days a week like you said you go to, and so publish four days a week. What are you talking about this this week when I missed what was it Tuesday or whatever? It was Tuesday and Wednesday, I think. No, I didn't. I recorded Wednesday. I recorded Wednesday. Oh, I recorded yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> yeah. and today, and I threw into see, and because I missed Tuesday, because originally I was gonna go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was gonna do call in Tuesday night, and then I was gonna do call in tonight, but no podcast today. And because I mismanaged my Christmas time. Uh, I had to, I had to miss Tuesday, uh, which is why I recorded today. So I'm pretty good at making up for, you know, last minute shenanigan emergency stuff. Um, I haven't had any pet emergencies lately, so that's pretty good. Um, the good news is if, you know, when I go over to Substack, I'm going to be probably doing five days a week plus writing. Will that be enough for you? Well, if I have to pay more money for it, then yes, that'll be enough. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm giving all of you the amount of the, the, the correct amount of overdosing content. Much appreciated. All right. Have a Merry Christmas. And will you be back before New Year's? Yeah, I am going to record next week. I mean, it's, I mean, the way the holidays fell on the weekends really pisses me off this year because <laughs> I generally, for what I do, it's like, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a couple of extra days like Thanksgiving. It's always great to just take that Friday and then come back Tuesday, whatever. But both fucking Christmas falls on the weekend. So I don't have an excuse for missing next week. And then New Year's falls on the fucking weekend. And uh, so I'm just kind of like, all right. Uh, so no, I will be, I will be on Patreon, hopefully maybe Tuesday, maybe not until Wednesday now, um, but, uh, I'll, uh, yes, I will be having podcasts next week to answer your right. question and I'll, right. and I'll be here. Of course, I try to, I'm trying to do this a couple times, uh, a week just because there's just, there were so many topics out there and this one's just kind of a, a before Christmas screw off edition. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Don't freeze to death down there. <laughs> have, your emergency, have your emergency numbers and flares ready. OK, you might. And also something that, you know, I don't know how the pipes are built down there, but you want to leave uh, some water running in your pipes because they might freeze at 60 degree weather during the day. <laughs> it might get as low as it might even get as low as like 49 at night. So put on an extra blanket and put on a sweater and just make sure you're safe. All right. I'll do that. Thank you for okay. that advice. OK, Jacqueline. Good night. Happy Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Schwanza. <laughs> um, yeah, this, yeah, we're we the the people of Florida in their in their desperate times, uh, acting like their their tauntauns are falling over from the cold down there. So, uh, this is episode seven, Festivus. Thanks all to callers. Uh, thanks again to audience for just taking a little bit of time out uh, from your Christmas shenanigans uh, to listen along. So uh, as I noted, I, uh, I plan to be uh, back on Patreon Tuesday to close out the week. I will also have probably my best albums of the year on Friday, the final podcast of the year. 
And I may be back here, hopefully maybe with John Gabriel to go over that as well. Maybe if not next week, uh, maybe uh, the following week uh, after the new year. So again, everyone enjoy your holiday, enjoy your Christmas, enjoy your shawarma or your Hanukkah or whatever it is that uh, we need to cover to make sure that all marginalized groups are covered. This is episode 77, Festivus, The Airing of the Grievances. I'm Stephen L. Miller. This has been uh, Versus Media.